I think it's a obvious statement that we are all waiting for, and I put in quotes, the vaccine. And right now, the best that there is to offer, at least as I read, is a drug called remdesivir, and it can uh, slow down the coronavirus on a limited basis. It has a small ability to block the spread of the virus into our cells, and as the article I read said, it can diminish the time for recovery. Um, It's not a cure, but it can uh, cut back how long you have it and perhaps how severe it becomes. And as it said, it is not a complete knockout. The article went on to say, we are still looking for a breakthrough cure. I read that and thought, and I wanted you to imagine this scenario with me this morning. After really so many months of waiting and so many months of research, after so many people have become sick and unfortunately so many people have even died, Finally, imagine that Anthony Fauci or someone like him comes up with a cure that will completely heal anyone who has COVID-19, no matter how severe their case is. At the same time, imagine that another doctor, um, not nationally known, no one really knows much about him except that his credentials at best are quite questionable. He also boasts of coming up with an equally potent cure, but with less, far less, inspirational results. And it seems when that you ingest the second alternative, um, that it starts out looking like it's completely going to knock it out, but what happens is it does virtually nothing in the end, and people are starting to believe in this scenario that is completely worthless. I mean, there's really no help to it. It's not any better in the end than just taking an aspirin or two. And imagine that knowing those two cures are out there, that the crazy thing becomes that more people are beginning to go with the cure that doesn't work. The cure that really can't save anyone. And they're bypassing and virtually, as it were, rejecting the only possible way that they can be healed. You say, Pastor Walker, that's a crazy scenario. That would never happen. No one would ever, given two choices, decide to uh, take the fake cure over the real cure. Well, that's exactly really the context that was taking place in the book of Isaiah as I read it to you. Israel was... In the first 39 chapters being indicted because there was a different kind of virus that was spreading through the land. It wasn't a physical one, it was a spiritual one. And the Bible calls it idolatry. It is incredibly spiritually dangerous and deadly and it was taking its effect on the nation. In fact, God was going to send on the southern kingdom, Judah, he was sending Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar and they were going to destroy Jerusalem. That's really the story of the first half of the book of Isaiah in chapters 1 through 39. But as you reach chapter 40 in the book, it's really a change because from that chapter on in the remainder of the book through chapter 66, God promises a lot of things and how he is going to restore Israel. And one of the things he promises is that he's going to raise up a savior, one who would come and save his people, who would really bring a real cure for their idolatry and the resulting captivity and exile. You say, Pastor Walker, okay, what's the issue then? Why wouldn't Israel just 
receive and accept and take the deliverance that God was offering them? Why didn't they just take the salvation that was so obvious? Well, you would think it would be that way, wouldn't you? But the truth is that because there were other options. Israel had given themselves over by and large to other gods, worshiping other gods. And they began to believe that Yahweh wasn't really capable and that perhaps other gods were their real source of hope, that other gods perhaps had greater power and greater ability to save them from their enemies. So God wanted them to know in no uncertain terms that that was absolutely a lie, and the reality was that there were no other gods beside him, especially when it comes to saving his people. And so, in very clear words and terms, in fact, in chapters 40 through 66, this little phrase, this little uh, introductory formula keeps repeating itself 26 times. Thus says the Lord. And it's 11 times in the few chapters that surround our text, in chapters 42 through 45, God says this, thus says, because he wants them to know straight from his own mouth. That this is the truth. And the truth is this, is that what God wanted Israel to know, what he wants you and I to know, is that there is no other God. That the God of the Bible is not like other gods might be seen in the eyes of men. He is not some local or tribal deity. No, he's far greater than that, far grander than that, far more powerful than that. He is the one true God of Israel and of all of the nations. We might put it this way. That God is a one of a kind. I have been to the Smithsonian, I know maybe you have in Washington, and I have seen the Hope Diamond, and it is beautiful, it is huge. I mean, Mackenzie just is getting married this coming week, and uh, she got, when she got engaged, like everybody else, you can see the diamond, and I think maybe close to one carat, but the Hope Diamond has hundreds of carats. I mean, it is big. Don't worry, Sam, I know she's not going to expect anything like that anytime soon. Um, but one of a kind. But let me tell you this. The Hope Diamond, it's not the biggest and it's not the best. In fact, there is one diamond that is far different than all the other diamonds that have ever been found or discovered in the entire world. And that's called the Culligan, Cullinan Diamond. And believe it or not, it's not one carat in size. It's not 100 carats. It's not 1,000 carats. It's 3,106 carats. It weighs itself 1.33 pounds. It's how big the diamond is. It was sold for $400 million. One of a kind. Um, When my dad passed away in his will, he left me a very, very fancy pistol. And my dad, for as long as I can remember, was a gun collector. And he left me, it had its own box. Inside, it was, it was lined with velvet. It has black onyx along, you know, and then it has, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ivory along the, the handle of it. Not ivory, it's pearl, thank you. And it also is li- it's lined with gold all across of it. The, uh, um, it's beautiful, to say the least, right? Uh, I looked it up. It is a limited edition in fact, these, all the guns that were made, and I think my dad's is number 233 out of 3,000. There's only 3,000 of them in the entire world, and my, they're all numbered. And, and to give you the, because they're very unique. See, but when it comes to God, when it comes to deity, when it comes to 
All of those things, see, the number only goes as high as one, God would say. Because there's only one God, one true God. And, and let me tell you, I, I'm going to take a minute, so please follow with me because it's worth it. Read your scriptures with me, circle, underline, whatever you have to do, because God wants us to get this. I mean, he's going to say, and I'm going to repeat them all, over and over again. There is no other God, and he wants us to be clear. He wanted Israel. 44.6, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Isaiah 44 and verse 8, is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. Our chapter, 45.5, I am the Lord, underline it, and there is no other. Verse 6, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Verse 14, surely God is in you. There it is again. And there is no other. Verse 18, I am the Lord and there is no other. Verse 21, was it not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none. Listen, there is none besides me. Verse 22, for I am God and there is no other. 46, 9, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Do you see what he's saying? Over and over and over. Here's what God wants his people and wants you and I to get it in our mind. That there is only one true God. And he's not just the God of Israel. He's the God, verse 18 of our chapter says, of all creation. He made the heavens and he formed the earth. And why he did it, verse 6 is of our chapter, that people may know me from the rising of the sun, which takes place in the east, until the west, he says. So from horizon to horizon, 24-7, across the globe. Here he says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There's only one God. And it doesn't matter where you go on this globe, what continent you are, in, what country you're in. Here's the reality that God says we all have to come to grip with. That the Babylonian gods, they are not real. The Egyptian gods, the Assyrian gods, the Canaanite gods, and today's contemporary gods. Allah is a fake god. Buddhism and all the pantheon of Hinduism, they are not real gods. There is one true living God. And may I say from the word of God, and there is no other. This is, if you are Jewish and Christian and follow the Old Testament as well as the New, you'd have to say this is basic monotheism. This is what Old Testament believers and Jewish people were brought up on. Exodus 23, very basic commandment up high on the list from God. Here it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because there aren't any other ones. Deuteronomy 34, 14. You shall worship no other gods beside me. Deuteronomy 4, 35 and 39. There is no other besides me. There is no other God. 1 Kings 8, 60. Solomon established in his reign that the Lord is God and there is no other. Do you see? I mean, and I can continue to go on. I mean, God throughout the Old Testament. In, in the context of Israel being surrounded by nations who had other gods, polytheistic nations, that they were to follow and worship one God because that's all there really was. Okay, Pastor Walker, you, yeah, all right, hold on, put the brakes on, right? I, I get it, you made your point. One, other, one God only, no other God. Well, let me tell you, I can assure you if you came over to my house today, I don't have any statues in my living room. I don't have any gods around. Okay, I saw someone once that had this little 
decorative Buddha, and they assured me that it was only decorative. But if you, you know, if you had one of those, okay, if I have that, Pastor Walker, I'll get rid of it. But I got to tell you this, it's not just a prohibition against the idols that might be in your home. No, we're more sophisticated than that in the 21st century. It's talking also about the idols that are in our hearts. See, the substitute gods of our culture. See, these gods, just like the gods in the Old Testament that you could see with your eyes and touch with your hands, they also rule your life. And they also are false. And can I add, and they cannot save you in any way, shape, or form. And those gods, oh, we worship them, all right. But they take different forms. And one of them is the god money. You can't worship God and mammon. Those are Jesus' words himself. And what we want from these gods of the heart, invisible to the eyes but real in our lives, we want them to do for us what only God can do. And that's why they fail so radically. We want money and the things that we can buy and the possessions with the name brand this and the car that looks like this so that everybody can see us and we can pretend to have an identity that matches the power and prestige that goes along with the things that money buys. It's a God, but it'll never satisfy. It'll never bring lasting happiness and joy into your life. And there are too many horror stories and tragedies in our news and in our culture and in our history To not know that that reality is true. Your success, your job, your titles, the degrees behind your name, your good looks, the appearance that you have to have, and the time that you spend in the gym, and all the things that you do. And it's not because having money is wrong. It's not being successful is wrong. It's not because having degrees is wrong. I have a master's degree and for a while worked on my doctorate degree. Certainly not wrong with being good-looking. I've never experienced that, but I know other people do. Others that have been muscular and and, and form and stuff. Again, nothing I have... But you know, nothing wrong with being healthy. Nothing wrong with being shaped. In fact, we could all do a little bit more with that, I'd agree. Having intelligence, high IQ, advancing, having abilities, eating food... On and on the list goes. But the problem is, when they become substitutes for God, they become idolatrous. Satan is good at that, isn't he? Taking what is good and perverting it, like sex and things that are even entertaining on TV or movies or video games. We become obsessed with them. They begin to rule our lives. And they begin to hold out promises that they can never, ever keep. So Pastor Walker, at least tell me this. What does this one God and only one God, why does it matter so much? Because if I'm honest, you might say to me, hey, it sounds like that's pretty intolerant. And you know how important that is today. And it sounds like, to me, it's pretty exclusive. So why can there only be one God? Well, let me tell you, I'll be honest. What the scripture says, it is intolerant and it is exclusive. But let me explain it to you this way. If and when a doctor comes up with that vaccine I told you about the beginning for COVID-19 and there's only one option for it, will you reject it because you're holding out for multiple options before you actually take it? I mean, you say, Pastor Walker, I don't like needles. I want it in a pill form. And so until they come out with the pill form, I'm not. T- no one's going to save that. You're not going to worry about whether there's two options or three options. 
So, so if America is the one in the country that finally develops the vaccine or the cure for this virus, and can you imagine being in Italy and how badly they've had the virus and the people that have been de- 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 devastated, I should say, and all the other countries that have struggled? Can you imagine people in other countries saying, hey, if America made it, no thank you. I'll wait till people who are Italian come up with it. No one's going to do that. Why? Well, are they going to reject it because it's exclusively an American thing? Is it intolerant to think that there can only be one cure for COVID-19? You know what? No one's going to think that way. And here's why. Because what only that ma- the only thing that matters is this. Can it save me? Right? Can it heal me? So why does it matter that we believe and the Bible speaks so clearly about being only one true God? Here's why. Get the principle. Only one God means there's only one salvation. That's what the text says. 45, Isaiah 45, 15. Truly you are a God who hides himself. O God of Israel. Now start circling. The Savior. 45, 17. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation 45 21 and there is no other god besides me a just god and a savior well how many saviors are there well the same number that there are gods because there is none besides me it says because there's one god there's one salvation we could say it this way no other god no other salvation Peter preached in the early church, and thousands of people got saved. And here was the intolerant, exclusive message that he learned growing up in the synagogues, and he preached because he knew who Jesus was. And Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Did you hear that? No one else. No other name. That's the gospel. Because Bible salvation from our sins, it is exclusive in its source, but can I tell you, it is inclusive in its scope. It is for all the nations. It's not just for a select group of people. God's salvation from sin is not just something that was offered to Israel. No, throughout this chapter and throughout Isaiah, as God unfolds his history and you come to the book where in chapter 66, he says there's going to be a new heavens and new earth. There are going to be Gentiles. There are going to be people from all tribes, tongues, and languages come before the throne. Why? Because God has made this wonderful salvation, the only salvation available to everyone, anyone from any nation. It doesn't matter, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you are, God's salvation is for you. You might say in response, hey, Pastor Walker, that sounds really good, (laughs) but you really don't know much about me, do you? I can tell you stories. Have you ever heard someone say that to you? Well, let me tell you, I can and I am going to tell you stories. I could name people and I won't, but I have talked with drug addicts who are on heroin, who everyone had given up on and their family had divorced them from. No one had any time for them, and I have seen them give their lives to Jesus Christ. I've seen alcoholics, hopelessly drunk, gone through rehab one after another, 
have their lives completely revolutionized and turned around. I have seen people who are atheists avowedly disbelieving that God even exists. And I've seen them become deacons in Baptist churches. I've seen religious people, non-religious people, upper class, lower class people, black people, white people, and every other color of people come to the realization that there is one true living God and it's the God of the Bible and that's the only place where salvation comes from. Okay, Pastor Walker, let's say for a moment I believe in the one God of the Bible and I believe that he's the only one who can offer salvation. Here's my question. How then can I be saved? Now we get to our text. 45.22 Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. You see, there's a negative part of getting saved and there's a positive part. And it's true throughout scriptures. There's always a turning from things and there's a turning to God. Paul wrote the Thessalonians and he described their testimony of salvation in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. How you turned to God... From idols to serve the living and true God. There's always a turning from and a turning to. Paul described salvation in these two turns like this in Acts 26, 18. You turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. And the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does exactly the same thing. And in verse 22, it starts out, turn to me. Now, if you know the word in Hebrew, it's a word that means to repent. It means literally to turn your face. And the idea embedded in this little phrase is that there's two turns. Turning to me also includes a turning away from something. Because you're looking at something with your face this way. And the idea is you stop looking here and you start looking over here. That is repentance. You're not finding your hope. You're not finding you're putting your trust. You're not not looking for your salvation and your deliverance over here any longer. With all the other false gods and all the other false hopes of salvation, that's not where you're looking to find your purpose in life, your satisfaction, your joy, the forgiveness. You know, you're not looking over there. You've turned. You've turned another direction. And now you're looking over here, it says. And The Bible says you have to turn away from the gods. And the Bible is so clear because it even tells you why you should. Look at 45.20. It reads, They have no knowledge, these gods that are false, who, who carry about their wooden idols, these people do, and keep, listen to this, and keep on praying to a god, see it, that cannot save Oh, they make promises of how powerful they are and how great they are. But when it comes down to it, here's what the reality is. Listen, hear me. They can't save you. They can't do it. Scores of people throughout my life I have talked to that think if they can just be good enough, that their good works are going to make them right with God, that when they die and go to heaven, they're hopefully when they stand before God's throne, that there's this massive universal scale that somehow your good things outweigh your bad things. Can I tell you, it is a false hope. The God of your self-righteousness will never 
meet and measure to the standard of God's holiness. Good works, it's a false hope. It's a false source of salvation. Don't trust religious tradition. Don't think because you belong to a denomination or a certain church, whether you're Catholic or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Baptist or any other type of church. It's not what church you belong to. It's not the religious traditions that you follow. It's not the sacraments that you might adhere to, per se. It's not being baptized when you were a child or even as an adult that you can depend on. And it's not even say, hey, Pastor Walker, hey, maybe I don't have a lot of good works, but you know, I've stayed away from the really bad things. There's nothing I've ever been put in jail for. I'm still married to my wife. I've been faithful to her. I may have my own problems, but listen, I haven't been guilty of all these. And you could list off of things, a list of things you've never done. Here's what God says. You know how you get saved? You recognize there's only one God, and that means you have to turn away from, repent of, look away from all the other gods. Whatever form they're taking, however they've ruled in your heart, you have to look away from them and look to God. Lucy DeQuinzio, just a couple days ago, died in her sleep. I, I believe she was 94. And over the years, Lucy used to come to... The dramas from time to time. Tony, her husband, who is about to meet the Lord very soon, I believe. He was here for the first number of years. I was here. I uh, was a leader in our church. I, I, I used to call him all the time, Tony Lala. I mean, he was a great man of God, so faithful here. And he did more than just lead music. He was in a number of other ministries over the time that he was at Faith Baptist Church. But I remember from time to time, he, he loved his wife. You know, they were married, him and Lucy, for 72 years. That's a long time, and I, I always, a, that's discouraging for my wife. We're 33, it means you're not even halfway there, honey, if that happens for us. But, but you know, let me tell you this. Lucy came to dramas. She heard the gospel over and over again for so many years of her life. And I remember having her sit here, and I watched her. But it wasn't until a few months ago when I talked to Tony over at the house that he told me that at 92 when they were watching a Billy Graham uh, crusading event on TV, that Lucy came to the realization that she needed the Lord as her Savior. And I believe and hope that that's true. Because after all those years and talking to Lucy, how she depended on being Catholic, how she depended on her own works, and that she'd gone through all the sacraments, like Ed Koenig, who was the exact same way, depending on all those things, hoping in those things, trusting in those things, that they finally turned and looked away from all of that and looked to the cross and looked to the Lord Jesus. Perhaps you're here and you're watching today and you're interested. Maybe church isn't your thing on a regular basis, but COVID-19 has perked your interest in God and what's going to happen to your life and to the nation, to our world. And can I tell you this this morning? There's only one true God, the God of the Bible. And because there's one God, there's only one salvation. And this God has loved you in this sense that he has sent his son to die on the cross for sinners just like you. And his desire is to have a personal relationship with you by faith if you'll trust in him. If you'll look away from what you've been depending on. To make you right with God, to earn heaven perhaps as your home. He wants you to turn away from those things because here's the reality. You cannot hold on to your false gods and the one true God simultaneously. You cannot. 
It is a decision that you have to make. So the, the negative part, if you can say so, is to turning from or turning away from all the other things. But the, the second part, the positive part, is the turning to part. And it's very explicit in our text. Turn to me and be saved. Not, not just Israel, all the ends of the earth to the extremes, literally in the Hebrew. And you be saved. Well, Pastor Walker, what does that mean? That I turn to God and turn away from this and I repent of my sins and I turn to God. Does that mean that you, are you saying I just need to be a little bit more religious? Nope, that's strike one. <laughs> Does it mean that I should come to church more often and particularly your church when things come back to normal? Nope, that's strike two. Although you're welcome to come. I know, Pastor Walker, I figured it out. You just want me to give more money. Definitely not. Strike three. Turn to me and be saved. There is a parallelism in our text. And verse 23 explains what verse 22 is. Turn to me. And in verse 23 it says, bow to me. The turning is a bowing to God. See, salvation is not, note this, it is not just a prayer It is not just a religious experience and then you go on your merry way the same. No, when you turn to God from idols, you are turning, 1 Thessalonians says, to serve the living and true God. You are coming to worship him. Here's how the text reads. In verse 23 it says, I have sworn myself, my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. Here's what it means. To me, every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. You are coming to God and saying, you are the rightful king of the universe. See, God wants you to come two ways. Broken, repenting and turning, and bowed. Broken and bowed. He wants you to submit your will and your life. He wants you to surrender everything that you are and everything you have to him. This is not a simple transaction. This is a complete paradigm shift for your entire life. That's what this is about. That's why you have to repent. You have to say, hey, this whole way I was living, this whole way I was thinking, this whole idea of how I thought and what life was about, I'm turning my back on all of that. And I'm turning to God and who he is and what he's done and what the implications are for my life. See, the only one king who saves. And you're confessing and you're swearing allegiance to him, the scripture says. Now, it's amazing in the text, and it's a very small point as far as the the verse is concerned, but it's a very big point in salvation redemptive history. And that is this, the surprising way God saves. In chapter 45 here, in verse 1, you know who God's means of salvation to Israel was? Cyrus. Do you know who Cyrus is in verse 1? He is a pagan Gentile king. Why in the world would God go about and take this pagan Gentile king and use him? And says God even says, I took him by the hand and used him. Why would God, why would he do that? God's ways of how he saves and who he uses to save us are surprising. That's why it shouldn't be of any 
doubt in your mind or surprise to you that the passage I read to you in verse 23 is quoted twice in the New Testament. That every knee will bow and every tongue confess or swear allegiance. It is found in Romans 14 and verse 11 and it reads, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Paul uses that to describe Jesus and his life and his ministry. He does it again over in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. He is the King. He's the one that Isaiah was talking about. That's who he is. That God is Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the King. He's the one I bow to. He's the one because of his cross, death, death and resurrection has been exalted to God's right hand. To the glory of God the Father. And isn't it God's surprising, unusual ways of who he uses. He uses his son, but not as a king in power, but a king in humiliation. A broken king he, was sent, he sends to us for our brokenness. A king who wears a crown of thorns to most in that day would have been no king at all. A king who finds his throne not to be high and lifted up. But lo and despised, his throne was a cross. A cross where he died for your sin and, and, and your shame and mine. See, that's the kind of king, surprisingly, that God uses. A king that everyone else thought was a failed Messiah. But really his failure was our victory. And it was through his loving death on the cross that he paid the price for your sin. He took your brokenness and your shame. In the back, fact, there's only two options in the remainder of the last two verses in our text in Isaiah 45, 22 to 25. He says, and if you don't receive this king and you don't bow the knee, see, everyone who has been incensed at God and angered at God for this option, be, nothing but shame will take place for them. And they won't be part of God's people who have righteousness and strength that he gives. They won't be justified. They won't know anything, verse 25, about his glory. They won't. And that's the hard thing, isn't it? Is to come to believe that the answer to the world's biggest problem is the virus of our sinfulness. And why all of us are waiting for a vaccine is not a vaccine from COVID-19. It is, can I say it? God, in a God-honoring way, it's a vaccine that will cancel our sin. And there's the one God and the one Savior, Jesus Christ, through his cross, death, and resurrection, who is the answer to that. And if you're here this morning, and you put your faith and hope and trust in anyone or anything other than him, I hate to say it to you, but you are putting your hope in something that will never keep its promise. It's a false God, a false hope, a false source of salvation. Would you do that today? Would you come to him and bow the knee? Would you confess openly that Jesus Christ is Lord? And put your faith and trust for him. In him is salvation. In him is forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, right there where you are this morning, 
the call of salvation is this, bow the knee. Broken heart, bowed knee. That's how God invites you to come. Turn away from the false gods, the false hopes of salvation. Turn to him, the one true living God. And the way of salvation, as surprising as it is, through his son's cross, death, and resurrection for your sins. If you've never done that, you can call on him. The Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Romans 10, 9, and believe in your heart, that's the transformation. You can have that by faith as you put your trust in him alone. If you do that this morning and God's spirit has worked in your heart to do that, call us, text us, let us know. We'd love to share more with you about your newfound faith in the Lord. We're going to close our service in just a moment. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing our closing hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And then right after that, as we often do, is traditional at Faith Baptist Church when people leave our ministry. Um, my daughter, Mackenzie, is getting married um, in this coming weekend and moving to Virginia. And she's been here all of her life. And uh, she has recorded a message that she wants to share with everyone today. Since you can't be here to say goodbye and she can't say goodbye to you, um, she wanted to have um, this send-off message she wanted to leave with you. But we're going to pray first and ask God to bless. Father, we are forever grateful for King Jesus, the only King, the only God who saves. I pray for those who have found in them today, in themselves, a emptiness, a loneliness, perhaps a despair that they can't fully explain because they have tried to substitute so many other things, can I say other gods, in your place. Would you grant repentance unto life? Would your Holy Spirit allow people to be born again to a living hope? Would you allow regeneration to take place so once where there was death, there is now life. Where there was darkness, there is light. Would you remove the heart of flesh and give a heart of stone? Father, these are things only you are capable of doing. And I pray that you would, that King Jesus might be glorified in the salvation that you would create in the hearts of men and women from the nations today, that they might become worshipers of your glory. And we'll rejoice with you over that. In your precious name we ask it. Amen.